How are you guys tonight? Amen. <laughs> you guys are throwing everybody off. They're like, I don't know what to do with this. Well, we are, uh, we are currently in a, a two-part series on death. Last week's message was entitled, You Are Going to Die. If you weren't here, <laughs> you missed a good one. <laughs> Uh, and we were talking about our, our mortal deaths, right? Our, our body is wasting away. It will be sown into the earth. Uh, tonight we're talking about the other, the other half of the Christian experience, which Jesus' words say, you will never see death if you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Christ. And we're going to talk about that uh, tonight. Okay. Heavenly Father God, we just thank you. Jesus, we thank you for uh, just everybody in here tonight. Every heart and soul in this place, Father. We just pause right now and we just recognize your spirit amongst us. We recognize your kingdom amongst us. And Father, we ask that you would help us to do tonight with you to send to you in this place. Father, I pray uh, that tonight's message and that tonight's conversations uh, would be fear killers. God, that those who are in here uh, tonight who have uh, maybe a fear of death, maybe a fear of what the other end of death looks like, uh, that your Holy Spirit and that your word would do the work that only your spirit and your word could do to crucify fear and to uh, illuminate in us the joy, the beauty, and, uh, and just the, the great privilege of the gospel. Jesus, we thank you that in you we will never see death. We thank you that in you we get to taste of your kingdom today. And then live eternally with you. You are God, us, your people, for the rest of eternity. Father, I just ask that you would help us to see that a little bit clearer tonight as we dive into your word. Uh, I pray that you would direct uh, this message, God, that you would lead me through the notes that you have brought me to, and that it would all make sense in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. So the two parts of the, the Christian life when it comes to death. And there are so many different things. Again, like I said last week, there are so many things that I would love to say in this series last week because we didn't have community discussion. Afterwards, I had a little bit more time. Tonight, I have 27 minutes left. So there are plenty of things that you'll get to the end of this and you'll go, you didn't say, I meant to. It was probably in my notes. We just have 26 minutes left now. And, uh, and time is flying because, right? Our time is limited here on earth. If you guys remember last week's message, it comes all back around. You guys will also remember that last week I had a lot of sermon illustrations. You're probably looking over at the red door, uh, wondering if that's going to come up tonight. It's not. <laughs> we thought about it. We were going to put it up here and just leave it. <laughs> but then we decided not to, right? Hello, I stand at the door and knock. No, we're not doing a sermon illustration like that. Uh, tonight, the other half of, of the Christian experience is we will never see death. Uh, how many of you guys know that in this world, especially with some of the, the climate of culture where it's at, it could sometimes feel a little scary? Yes? Anybody? Yeah. 
It could seem a little unsettling. It could seem a little uh, just terrifying of what, what does tomorrow hold? The main point that I want to point out tonight, and it's linked to you will never see death, but the main point I want to point out tonight is that discipleship to Christ, to Jesus, is the safest place that you can be. The world can feel like it's going to hell in a handbasket is the terminology, and in many ways it is. (laughs) But discipleship to Christ Discipleship to Jesus is the safest place to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hone in on this, hone in on this, hone in on this all throughout tonight as we go through Scripture and we look at what Scripture has to say about the promise of life after death. And, and this isn't just one of those, like, okay, say a prayer and you're going to go off to heaven someday. I really, really want to hone in that discipleship to Jesus, say discipleship, to Jesus is the safest place to be. Dallas Willard says, Jesus brings us the assurance that the universe is a perfectly safe place for us to be. And if we would place ourselves in his hands, no harm can come to us. Harm isn't exactly the same thing as hurt, right? He's not saying no hurt could come to us, right? We are still in a vulnerable state. How many of you guys have stubbed your toe in the last year? You know, we are in a vulnerable state. But Jesus is truly saying that we are perfectly safe in his presence and care. If, if, if that's a, a new concept for you, I, I send you away with homework of just sit and dwell on Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And, and sit on that psalm for an extended ser- like series, season, period, any of the, the words that you want to put in there, of time, <laughs> and, and, and you'll start to see that, wow, this is actually a safe place. I do actually have a really great shepherd. We talk frequently in, in class. Uh, I lead the discipleship program here, and, and Paul understood this. We talk frequently in class that Paul can be in prison, in shackles, and say things to the Philippian church and go, rejoice. Again, I say Rejoice. He experienced reality in a different way because he wasn't outside of safety in prison. He also said to the Philippians, I have learned how to be content when I have much and when I have little because my security and my safety is not determined on my external circumstance. It's determined on discipleship to Jesus. Does this make sense? In Paul's letter to Uh, Corinthians, it's a second letter. Uh, He says, even though the body is wasting away, I'm paraphrasing, it's not going to end up there. Even though the body is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. And then he says something beautiful. The afflictions that we experience on this side of eternity prepare us for and pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is to come. Our momentary afflictions on this side of eternity pale in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is to come for those who are in Christ, for disciples of Christ. That's beautiful. So Paul understood that even in the midst of death, facing death face on, 
we are still in the safest place that we could be when we are in discipleship to Christ. It's absolutely beautiful. We finished off last week when we were talking about what does it look like to start thinking through the limited timeline that we have on earth. If you weren't here last week, I held up a a kind of a yardstick type thing and it had 80 years chalked off on it and talked about how most everybody in here, right, the average age is somewhere between 20 and 24. And you picture that chalked off. And I said the rest of our time here on earth, whatever we're given, whatever we're blessed with, should be used in intentional devotion towards the kingdom of God, in partnership with the kingdom of God. And we talked about how on that judgment day, for those who are in Christ, there will be a judgment fire that will either refine the works that we've done here into beautiful gold and jewels. We're going to come back to this tonight. Or it will be like hay and wood that goes up in smoke. And we'll see our entire life go up in smoke in front of us, Jesus still gives us a promise that we will still be saved because we are in Him, but do we really want to watch our life go up in smoke? And Paul here is a beautiful picture of what discipleship looks like to where he's giving himself, his whole life, for the sake of the kingdom. And in doing so, he finds complete security when he is facing death. He says, I've been beaten with rods, I've been robbed, I've been whipped and lashed and all these different things, and yet here he is saying, but our afflictions on this side of eternity are momentary and they pale in comparison to the glory that is to come. Again, discipleship to Jesus is the safest place we can be. For many of us, this is a completely different concept. I shared this a, a while back, but I grew up where every year on my birthday, without fail, I would sit in bed and I would try and think about, I'm getting closer to death, and what is, what does it look like, have you, any of you guys ever asked this, what does it look like on the other side of death, and you're trying to picture it, and all you get is blank nothing, and it scared the crap out of me. I didn't have Paul's promises here, I didn't know these things. So all I thought about was the body that's wasting away. I didn't think about the inner man that's being renewed or the momentary afflictions that are paling in comparison to the glory to come. I had no clue. So I would run to my dad and he had no clue. So he would bring me to Denny's in the middle of the night and we would get a Grand Slam breakfast and a milkshake. For the time, it did its trick, you know. I stopped thinking about these things. Gross. Denny's, hey, Denny's was my childhood. Yeah, I know. Where's my squirt gun? Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to drink this one. No, just, okay. We need to keep going 18 minutes, 54 seconds. When we don't know what Scripture says about these things, it can be very easy to live in terror or fear on the subject of death. This does not have to be the case. My goal tonight is to do kind of a, again, with the time, I'm skipping across Scripture to show you the promises that we have in Scripture that whoever is in Christ has nothing to fear. 
our, our discipleship students were going through uh, the book of John this week. So this month, or in October, we go through each of the four Gospels, one every week, and right now we're in the book of John, and I just finished it up this morning, and it's amazing, absolutely amazing. If you fear death, right, park in Psalm 23, but then also park in the book of John. Just go through it and see what Jesus' words say, because he has much to say on this topic. John 3.16, everybody knows this verse. The context here is Jesus is up in a, he's in a kind of a secluded room and he's talking to a, a religious leader of the day, Nicodemus, and he's asking him about eternal life. And Jesus is responding and he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We hear this all the time. But Jesus has more to say. John 8, 51. This is in a, a conversation with Jews about Abraham and the seed of Abraham and all these different aspects. And they're calling him a, a demon-possessed Gentile or a demon-possessed Samaritan. And they, they have all sorts of slurs that they're yelling at him. But he, he comes back and he says, Very truly I tell you. Not just truly, very truly. I tell you, whoever obeys my words will never see death. Again, our sermon title tonight, You Will Never See Death. There's some caveats here, right? Those who believe, those who obey. We're going to talk about that here in a second. John eleven twenty five 25 through 26. This is Jesus responding to Martha who lost her brother Lazarus saying, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. He goes, don't you believe? She goes, I know he'll be raised up in the last days, but if you were here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe? <laughs> beautiful, beautiful words. And I think they're words for us tonight. Do you believe? And some would ask, well, okay, we've just seen two different things that Jesus is saying. Is it believing or obeying? Well, Yes right? Like, we have to ask, what are we actually believing? We're, we're believing that Jesus is who He said He is. He is Savior, Messiah, Christ, all these different things. So often in our Western ears, we hear those as, yeah, He's the one who came to make sure that we can go to heaven. That's true, but it, it falls short. All of these terms are biblical terms towards a king who's coming, all throughout Old Testament, we see there's going to be a Savior, a Messiah, one who's going to come and redeem. He's going to be king, and everyone else is not. So us saying, I believe, says, Jesus, you are king. And if I say, Jesus, you are king, I am also saying, I am not. Again, Dallas, one of my all-time favorite, just read some Dallas Willard and you'll understand, okay, why I bring him up so much. But Dallas would often say the, the number one thing that will get in the way of God's kingdom in your life is your kingdom. To believe is to obey. Because it says, you are king, I am not, and if I am not king and you are, then whatever you say goes. That's what kingship looks like. It says, I have a new lord. But there's beautiful aspects of this. If, if Jesus is king and I am submitted to his kingdom, it means I 
I have the benefits of his kingdom. His kingdom is eternal. His kingdom is filled with life. His kingdom, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of meat and drink, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. His kingdom is full of these things. It's the kingdom of light. It's the kingdom of life. It's the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. That means that the other kingdoms are not. So if you're not experiencing righteousness, peace, and joy in your life, perhaps it's time to look at Christ and say, you are Lord, I am not. And in that place, it is the safest place to be. Another way of saying this is disciples of Jesus will never see death. That's exactly what we're saying tonight. Does this make sense? You guys understand that obeying and believing go hand in hand, right? We need to understand that. We, we have become so conditioned to Western gospel of just say a prayer and you're off to heaven, but Jesus is, is asking something of us. He's saying, if you're part of my kingdom, you will interact with me in kingdom matters. And that's a, it's beautiful. That's beautiful. Hmm. I could probably hit that nail for the rest of the night, but I'm not going to. Notice again Jesus' language all throughout John. And again, I send you off homework. Read John. You're going to see beauty of Christ. The overarching picture that, that Christ is talking about in death is that those who are in him have everlasting life and they will not see death. John 17, 1 through 3. This is as Jesus was praying as he was about to go to the cross. He says, after, uh, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Say eternal life. Amen. Now this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I've preached on this one so many different times. That word know there is gnosko, gnoski. It's a relational knowledge. It's actually interactional knowledge. It's not just a head knowledge. But he's saying here, this is everlasting life that you come into the kingdom to know the king, to walk with the king, to be intimate with the king. God, you have given me these people to know. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus is constantly hitting this over and over and over. And Eleven minutes. How is time going by so fast? One of the questions Emily and I were, were talking about this, and, and she goes, "Well, what does that actually look like? Well, like, what does it look like to never see death?" Scripture gives us a couple different pictures. Right, Paul says, "To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord." So there's that picture. Paul also in Philippians, it's in the first chapter of Philippians, he's talking about how, he goes, I desire to, be, to depart and be with Christ, but, which is far better, but I will be here. Like, he goes, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's saying, if I were to die right now, I know that, that 
my body would be glorified. I would be in the presence of God. I, I actually deeply desire to be in that place right now, to be with Christ, to look at him, to be beholding him, to see him once again. He knocked me off my donkey, and I've been looking forward to the day that I would see him again. But it's better that I would be here, right? He says, I'm on mission. I'm partnering with him to bring his kingdom here. I'm partnering with him to get more people into his kingdom. There's all sorts of things going on, but we see in Scripture that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We also see other areas to where the term sleeping is used. And, and I think these terms are being used because it's a, a mystery uh, that we can't explain, but it is something to at least to a certain extent be understood is wrapped into discipleship to Christ. That if my heart is towards him and he is my Lord, then I don't have to worry about it, what it looks like. I don't have to sit in bed and, and try and picture what does that look like at the end of the day when I die? Is there something? It doesn't have to worry me. I can rest in the fact that Christ paid for me to live a, a, a holy and blameless life today and then to, to move off into whatever that looks like tomorrow. We do have a beautiful picture of what heaven looks like. I want to get to that here in a second. Is this good? Is this helping? I'm, just, I'm praying that, that as we're going through Scripture, and you're just seeing this theme over and over and over again, that the Lord is using it, using His Word to wash you from any fear that you have of what the other side of death looks like. If you fear it, Take Christ on as Lord, and you no longer need to fear it. I want to take the last couple of minutes. And I, I started last week, I told the story about my, my grandfather, Papa, who passed away and talked about being at his funeral and how I was really coming to grips with death. And I think it was a very maturing moment with me. Uh, I was really having to grapple with death. Well, a couple days after that, I was taking some time to just reflect losing my grandfather. I knew that he was a believer. He prayed over us. He, let, like, he pushed us kids towards the Lord all the time. So I know where he was, but I wanted to see it in Scripture. I wanted to get a picture in Scripture of what does this look like? And, and God, I need you to put me at ease with this. And a couple places that I, I ended up in that I just I was put, I mean this, at like a supernatural ease was in 1 Corinthians 15 which Paul's going through and he's talking about the gospel and he's specifically talking about crossing over to the other side, crossing over to eternity, what this looks like, and then also Revelation 21 and 22, which if you hear Revelation, you get scared. This is actually the beautiful part that, that is a promise for us. Uh, I'm going to skip a little bit forward in 1 Corinthians 15. Again, I, I think it's a, the entire chapter is beautiful. But Paul's talking to, to the Corinthians, and they're, they're debating about resurrection. They're having this conversation of, like, does resurrection even happen? They're starting to get influenced by other cultures around them that are saying resurrection is not a reality. You guys are believing in something false. It doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. And Paul here is saying, of course it doesn't make sense to the carnal mind. And he's starting off and he says, if corpse, I'm going to read out of the message translation because it, it takes a lot of the things I wanted to preach at you and just puts it into the words on the page. He says, if corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And if Christ wasn't raised, then all we are doing 
is wandering about in the dark and are lost as ever. I want you to hear this because this is what the world is saying. No, you can't believe in that. Christ couldn't. It's not even scientifically possible for him to be raised from the dead like that. His body's probably buried someplace. Paul's very clear here. No, that is a lie from the pits of hell. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. He goes on to talk about how death is because we were found in Adam. We were all born in Adam. You could also hear this as we were born into a broken kingdom. But life comes from Jesus, from above, who brings the heavenly kingdom, the eternal kingdom, right? I'm trying to lay some ground so we keep moving. He says, some skeptics, I'm sure, will start to ask, show me how resurrection works. Give me a diagram, draw me a picture. What does this resurrection body look like? Paul goes, if you look at this question closely, you realize how absurd it is. There are no diagrams for this kind of thing. We do not have, again, realize, what, what, is the, what does life after death look like? Paul's saying, it's so far beyond anything you could ask, think, or imagine. But he says we, we do have a parallel experience in gardening. You plant a dead seed, and soon there is a flourishing plant. He's talking about the body being sown into the ground. This is why we started last week where we did, why we're ending this week where we are. There's no visual likewise or visual likeness between the seed and the plant. You can never guess what a tomato would look like by looking at a tomato seed. What we plant in the soil and what grows out of it don't look anything alike. The dead body that we bury in the ground in the resurrection body that comes from it will be dramatically different. Can I get an amen, anybody? Amen. It's beautiful. You will notice that there are a variety of bodies, just as there are different kinds of seeds. He starts talking about how there are all sorts of different bodies, and we could start to see uh, uh, glimpses of glories at things that emit light, right? The sun, the stars, the moon, all these different aspects. He says, these are different than these. Our heavenly body is going to be way different than anything we've seen. Bless you. He said, and we're only looking at pre-resurrection seeds. Who can imagine the resurrection plants what, and what they will be like? The image of this planting a dead seed and raising a live plant is just a mere sketch at best. But perhaps it will help you in approaching the mystery of the resurrection body. But only if you keep in mind that when we're raised, we're raised for good. Alive forever. The corpse that's planted is no beauty, but when it's raised, it is glorious. Put in the ground, it's weak, it comes up, and it's powerful. The seed sown is natural, the seed grown is supernatural. Same seed, same body, but what a difference from when it goes down in physical mortality to when it's raised in spiritual mortality. What he's saying is the dead man that gets sown in the earth comes with all its ailments, its brokenness, its sinful nature. But when we are raised with Christ, when we are found with Christ in the rest of eternity, you are without pain, 
without brokenness, without turmoil, without sin. That enough is to give me wonderful dreams and keep me from thinking, oh, what would it look like? I have no idea, but it's going to be glorious. The momentary affliction pales in comparison to the eternal glory. He continues on. He says, I need to emphasize, friends, that our natural earthly lives don't in themselves lead us to the very nature in the kingdom of God. Their very nature is to die. So how could they naturally end up in the life kingdom? And what he's saying here is this doesn't happen naturally. This happens by the salvific work of Christ, the atoning work of Christ in the death, burial, and resurrection. This happens in discipleship to Christ, joining in with his kingdom business. This doesn't happen, but this isn't a universalist message. It's not all road lead to this. It's Christ is the way, the truth, the life. Anything else outside of him has a completely different thing. It's sown, and it's sown in its brokenness, and doesn't come back up in health and wholeness. It actually ends up in eternal separation, torment. Paul says, but let me tell you something wonderful, a mystery I'll probably never fully understand. We're not all going to die. He's talking, Christ is going to come back. There will be some who has not died yet. When Christ comes back, we will be taken up to him, whatever that looks like. You hear a blast to end all blasts from a trumpet, and in that time you will look up, and at the blink of an eye, it's over. On signal from that trumpet from heaven, the dead will be up and out of their graves, beyond the reach of death, never to die again. At the same moment, and in the same way, we will all be changed. In the resurrection scheme of things, this has to happen. Everything perishable taken off, to the, off the shelves, replaced with the imperishable. The mortal replaced with the immortal. Then the saying will come true, death swallowed by triumphant life. Isn't Scripture so beautiful? Christ is using this to rapture us up into his heart to understand who he is and the beauty that we have access to. It's not just heaven someday. Eternity starts now. Continues on, who's got the last word, O death? O death, who's afraid of you now? Other translations will say, O death, where is your sting? It was sin that made death so frightening in law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now, in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death, are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. He finishes off this chapter. With all this going for us, my dear friends, stand your ground and do not hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the Master, confident that nothing you do for Him is a waste of time or effort. Does that sound like last week's message? I hope so. Last thing I want to read to you. Verse 
in Revelation, we get a couple different pictures. We get a picture of, and I trust me, I'm not a turn or burn kind of preacher, but at the same time, I am also not a turn away from the truth of Scripture kind of preacher. We get a picture just before what I'm going to read here in a second of, of multiple books. There's something called the books, and then there's something called the book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And Paul's, or, uh, John is getting a revelation here that those who are found in the Lamb's book of life, those who have joined in with Christ, are saved, and they will never experience what Revelation calls the second death. Right? First death, our body gets sewn to the ground. The other book is called just the books. That's all it tells us. And it says those who are found in the books are there because they didn't find themselves in his book. And in so doing, it says that they will be judged based off of their works because of the law. And they will be found lacking and wanting because no man will be made right by the law. Only man could be made right by Christ himself and his salvific work. And then it says they will experience the second death. The Bible talks about this in a couple different ways. Hell, eternal judgment and damnation, the lake of fire, and eternal separation from God. Right? We said it earlier. Paul said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Imagine a place that's separated from righteousness, peace, and joy. That God is love. Imagine a place separated from love. Eternally. These are things that... <laughs> I, I, I don't try to scare people into the kingdom, but at the same time, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. We do not need to be afraid of Him as if we can't approach Him, but we should be afraid of the one who can destroy soul and send us to the pits of hell. This is real. This is real. We're not just playing games here. But then for those who are in the book of life, I want you to see this. This is what put me at just so much bliss in thinking about grandpa passing over to eternity. John's getting this revelation he says right at the beginning of 21, again, I'm reading out of the message because it puts it just incredibly for our imaginations. I saw heaven and earth new created, gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea, everything broken, gone, new earth, new heaven coming. I saw holy Jerusalem new created, descending, resplendent out of heaven, as ready for God as a bride for her husband. I heard a voice of thunder from the throne that said, look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They are his people. He is their God. Hear this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone, all the first order of things gone. How beautiful is that? The enthronement continued. Look, 
I'm making everything new. Write it all down. Each word dependable and accurate. He says, I'm the beginning and the end. Continues on. One of the seven angels who was carrying the bowls filled with seven final disasters spoke to me. Come here. I'll show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. So he took me away in the spirit to an enormous high mountain and showed me holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, resplendent in the bright glory of God. Momentary affliction, pale in comparison to the coming glory. The city shimmering like a precious gem, light-filled, pulsing light. She had a wall majestic and high with 12 gates. The wall was jasper, the color of glory. And the city was pure gold, translucent as glass. The foundations of the city walls were garnished with every precious gem imaginable. Do you remember last week? I'm, I'm presenting this as a perhaps. I'm not making a doctrinal dogmatic statement. Remember last week when we talked about how the saints would hit judgment day and those things would either go up in smoke or they would be refined like, what does Scripture say? Gold and precious stones. Could it be that the things that are building the kingdom are actually the things that the saints of ages had stored up treasures in heaven on? That the things that we do here today actually have an eternal significance to partner with God in restoring His kingdom on this earth? Is it today that the things that we're doing in partnership with Him is maybe laying one gold brick at a time adorning the wall with one gem at a time on earth as it is in heaven. I don't know. It keeps me up at night in a good way. The main street of the city was pure gold, translucent as glass, but there is no sign of a temple. For the Lord God, the sovereign, strong, and the Lamb are the temple. The city does not need a sun or a moon for light because God's glory is its light. The Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk in its light, and earth's kings bring in their splendor. Its gates will never be shut by day, and they won't be any more at night. They'll bring the glory and honor of the nations into the city. Nothing dirty or defiled will ever get into the city. Imagine that, a place where nothing dirty or defiled. We started, isn't this place kind of scary here where we are today? But tomorrow, when his kingdom comes, it is no longer only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will get in. Then the angel showed me a water of life river, crystal bright. It flowed th from the throne of God and the Lamb right down the middle of the street. The tree of life was planted on each side of the river. This is garden picture. This is bringing us back to the original aspect of what God and man had within the Garden of Eden. The leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. Never again will anything be cursed. The throne of God and the Lamb is at the center. His servants will offer God's service, worshiping the look on His face, their foreheads mirroring God. Never again will there be any night. No one will need lamplight or sunlight. The shining of God, the Master, is all the light anyone needs. And they will rule with Him age after age after age. Our discipleship today is training for reigning with him to come. Our momentary affliction is paling in comparison to the eternal glory. 
If you would, close your eyes. I don't think this message can be healthily preached without giving a call And again, like I said, Jesus isn't looking for us to simply pray a prayer. He's looking for us to take on a life of discipleship in partnership with him. We grow in that. We're not going to be experts tomorrow. But it's saying, Jesus, you are Lord, I am not. And I just want to give you space to ask yourself, have I, have I truly, and ask Christ, have I truly in my heart of hearts, in the posture of my life, in the way I live my life, said, Jesus, you are Lord, you are King, I am not. And if you're saying, I don't know that I've made that decision, then declare it to him right now. Jesus, you are King, I am not. If you know you've made that decision, I'm not questioning that decision. Rejoice that you are in the Lord. If you guys would, I do want to seal this in prayer. So if you guys would, this is more of a, a declaration kind of prayer. Pray this with me. Jesus, I thank you for your victory on the cross. I thank you that you have defeated death sin, and the devil on my behalf. I declare you are king. Would you help me to live my life in a way that makes that a reality for me? I ask your Holy Spirit to guide me into discipleship to Christ, obedience to Christ. I ask all this in Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.